0: Welcome to Chemical Reactions. And this is the third in a podcast series about European chemicals policy produced by Rud Pedersen Public Affairs in Brussels. I'm Chris Davis, a senior advisor to Rud Pedersen and formerly a long standing member of the European Parliament's Environment Committee. The European Commission is preparing its so called Chemical Strategy for Sustainability. And today I get the chance to talk with an environmentalist about what should be its priorities. He's Stefan Scheuer, the chief EU policy advocate for the NGO Chemtrust. Stefan, tell us about Chemtrust. As an NGO, what's it trying to achieve?
1: Hi Chris, uh, good talking to you and uh, happy to be here. Chemtrust is a charity in the UK and has now also been set up in uh, Germany in order to remain in the EU's uh, influence sphere. It is primarily working on chemical safety, aiming at uh, substituting hazardous chemicals with safer alternatives. It's taking a very robust uh, science based approach. Uh, we have a whole range of experts in the chemicals area people who studied the topics, who come from the regulatory side, who come from the NGO campaigning side. And uh, so we're hopefully a very uh, supportive player in advancing Europe's. Uh, chemicals policy
0: a supportive player that's interesting we all know that chemicals just about any chemical can be dangerous and can cause harm if it's in the wrong place in the wrong quantities but we use tens of thousands
1: of chemicals
0: do environmentalists recognize that they are key to modern life
1: absolutely chemistry is a very innovative uh, world uh, with new chemicals being found invented new new s- uses uh, being developed uh, so it's uh, definitely an important part of our uh, development of the economic development and uh, the development of our civilization but I think first of all there are less chemicals than When I started 20 years ago, we heard about hundreds of thousands uh, being out there. Uh, At the moment, we're only talking about tens of thousands. Um, So we have gone through quite an important exercise over the last uh, 15 years in bringing chemicals, legacy chemicals of chemicals which were out there used without much knowledge about their safety into a new system called REACH. Um, And we learned that actually it's much less chemicals and that we can identify the most problematic ones, and that's what what it is all about. We have to identify the most problematic ones and get them out of the system where they can't be controlled. And most chemical uses, I have to stress, cannot be controlled. Once chemicals are out there in a consumer product, uh, nobody can ensure proper control, and these things are then out somewhere in the environment at the end. And we might uh, get them back into our body through food or other environmental media, and um, they're all around us and in us.
0: Do we worry too much? I mean, surely many of the chemicals we use now are safer than the ones we've used in the past.
1: I don't think we worry too much. We're actually seeing that over time, when we are studying chemicals, their behavior in the environment, how they accumulate in our bodies, that safe levels have to be adjusted. Smaller and smaller amounts are seen as being problematic. Uh, So it feels a bit like uh, we're running behind the curve. It's a bit like with climate policy, where long time we tried to play down problems, uh, but now they hit us hard. And I think it's the same with chemicals. Uh, With the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we also start seeing that the immune system's reaction being such an important part of fighting a pandemic is being impacted by chemical pollution. That's I think heightening our, and should heighten our, concern about chemicals. Uh, So I think things are becoming more urgent uh, uh, to be tackled.
0: In Europe though, in general, our air is cleaner, our rivers are less polluted, human beings tend to live longer lives. What's the problem?
1: We're moving from the visible, obvious problems of uh, dirty rivers uh, with coloured foam on them and fish dying to something more invisible. And that is something ChemTrust is focusing on quite a lot, is things like hormone system disruption. So we have substances which have an endocrine disrupting potential. And they do change the way how our immune system is able to learn and to react to things like viruses. It also has an impact on our uh, reproduction, our fertility, and that only plays out over long term. So the impacts might not be directly visible on an individual and brought into connection with one single substance. But it's a cocktail of things and it might play out uh, uh, only in uh, future generations. So it's less visible, but nevertheless, not uh, less problematic.
0: Endocrine-disrupting chemicals you touch upon, where do people find them? When do ordinary people come in contact with them?
1: Well, for example, you go to a shop, uh, you pay and you get the receipts. It's thermal paper. Um, And it's uh, used with a chemical called bisphenol A, which just recently has been banned and is now replaced by another chemical from the same family, bisphenol S. And both are uh, suspected endocrine disruptors and they are proven to interfere uh, with uh, fertility with our system. And uh, so there we are. We touch them, especially people working in supermarkets, for example. They will touch them quite a lot and they will absorb them through the skin and have them in the body.
0: I went shopping this morning. I took my till receipt. I'm feeling really worried now.
1: Well, compared to what the person on the other side of the counter, uh, the amount of till receipts uh, she will touch, uh, you're probably much less exposed. But uh, other chemicals you have, of course, uh, like uh, PFAS, uh, a substance of fluorinated, uh, very stable um, molecules. Thousands of them are around different types, um, and uh, they can come through anything you eat. they are global contaminants. They can travel uh, very far. They never break down in the environment. Uh, so there are many other places where you can pick up these chemicals and accumulate them in your body. But uh, to reassure you, Chris, you're in an age where you're taking in much less food and you absorb much less than a child when it's developing. So, most of the things do happen in in early childhood.
0: (laughs) Chemtrust wants to promote safer alternatives to some existing chemicals. That's the substitution principle. And I remember that the importance of that was absolutely central to many of the debates we had about the REACH legislation in 2006. How much has been achieved since then?
1: That's a a good question because um, we have changed the system, as you said, quite a lot, not just by introducing that principle of substituting the most harmful chemicals with safer ones, but also we have put the burden on industry. So it is industry which, once a substance is identified uh, as being very harmful, has to apply for an authorization, has to provide the data and the proof for a use it deems still safe. Otherwise, the use is ending by a certain sunset date. So many things do happen. Now, without necessarily public knowing about it, there will be chemical companies simply when they see a substance being identified as being very harmful, a substance of very high concern, it is called. Um, At that moment, uh, many chemical companies, we suspect and we are told, are already preparing to step out of them and and move on to something which is not yet identified or which they do indeed see as being inherently safer. So it's very difficult to put a concrete number there of how many substitutions took place, because as I said, we, we might not necessarily know all of them. So I guess you will need to talk to chemical companies here.
0: Well, that's interesting because I've heard some environmentalists say there hasn't been nearly as much substitution as was envisaged 15 years ago
1: that's that's right because we wanted many more substances to be identified as substances of very high concern, put onto the candidate list under REACH, and then being processed by setting a sunset uh, by which all users are banned unless authorized. That process has been much too slow. Uh, we were hoping for thousands being up there, and at the moment we are more in the in the range of hundreds. Uh, so that that is, uh, I think, a fundamental problem we are seeing in applying REACH, implementing REACH, the speed with which things are happening, regulatory processes as are moving on, is much too slow. I can give you a number. In, in, in average, it takes uh, nine and a half years to decide from the identification of a substance of very high concern to set the sunset. That's a very long period. It takes also, uh, I think, around eight years from the identification of a problem to restrict a specific use. So both main regulatory avenues available to the EU to deal with uh, chemical risks are pretty slow.
0: Let me touch upon something else you said there. We were told back in 2006 that REACH would reverse the burden of proof, and instead of the authorities having to go through a long process to ban a chemical when science suggested that it was harmful, manufacturers would instead have to demonstrate that their products are safe. Has that happened? It's it's not obvious.
1: It isn't obvious. And uh, as you remember, it was quite a big challenge for industry, um, causing great concern about such a system. The good news is it's accepted now. So chemical industry does recognize that part of reach and region general as being the right way forward um, to accept the responsibility of doing the necessary safety assessments up front to register a substance and then also describing which users are safe, which one are not and communicating with the supply chain. So that did happen. Nevertheless, there are always flaws in a legislation, uh, especially when you really do such a complete shift uh, in a system, uh, uh, a transformation of, of the regulatory regime in that many substances registered do not come along with sufficient data. Uh, and one of the problems here is indeed the industry in, in having to go through the tests uh, of course, they incur expenses but they also have an issue and, and rightly so with animal testing so they uh, normally will go back to ECHA and uh, check whether they have to do the test or not and that takes quite a while so we are needing more time actually to collect all the uh, and get all the safety data in the registration Dossiers. That's uh, something more time will help, but also there are issues in terms of enforcement. So, let's say a company does not comply with the requirements of registering its substance with all the necessary safety data. These things are not easily found, detected, and then not easily enforced. Um, So, we just learned that ECHA actually cannot uh, simply remove a registration number in order to ensure enforcement. It's much more complicated. I think, to be honest, there are flaws in the legislation which need to be fixed.
0: We've heard that ECHA has built up a huge database of all these submissions that have been made for the registration of chemicals by different companies but that far too many of the dossiers that have been submitted are inadequate in one way or another and you're saying that ECHA if it finds out that a dossier has been even fabricated perhaps or is certainly inadequate has no effective sanctions to apply against the manufacturer.
1: That's right. It's, uh, it's a very lengthy process for ECHA to request uh, further data. This goes through a complex governance procedure, much too heavy, much too slow, and is uh, definitely not seen as a, as a penalty for any wrongdoer. So in that sense, uh, what at least has happened so far is that a joint action plan has been agreed uh, by the agency and the European Commission and supported by uh, the chemical industry to start filling those data gaps and, and update that dossiers. That's uh, still rather a, a sort of voluntary exercise but now it also has been added that updates to the registration dossiers are not just voluntary also they are mandatory but of course difficult to check uh, when and how these updates uh, take place in a proper and conform way. So there is quite, quite some quite some further work to be done, um, so we are, we are definitely not through <laughs> um, having done that switch really to ensure that industry is uh, fully responsible and has demonstrated its responsibility for the safety of chemicals.
0: The chemical industry was pretty hostile to reach when the legislation was first proposed. Now the industry seems content with it. Is that because it's too easy for them now?
1: One might think so. <laughs> so time to uh, step up. I-, I think the first thing is that at the beginning, industry does create, if I may say, quite some noise and the stakes are high and it looks for slowing down certain transitions. But once things are happening, industry is very quick in adapting to new systems. And I think that's the great thing about industry. You know, they can innovate. And as long as we give a direction for innovation, that innovation can be good and for the in the interest of society. So that is what happened, and so now the chemical industry has got along with the system, but uh, now the world has moved on. We have now a European Green Deal, which we very much support with its uh, zero pollution ambition for a toxic-free environment that requires that we need to do more. We have to deliver better safety, we have to reduce the use of the most harmful substances, and that not just in you know in the chemical industry, but also we have issues with pesticides, uh, food contact materials. Uh, policy areas which actually did not have such a REACH system yet to bring them forward.
0: Well, I know there's more things that need doing, but looking back over the past decade and more, do you regard the REACH legislation as a success or failure?
1: No, I think it's a great success. It has put the EU at the world's leadership for chemical safety policy, but it's not something we can rest on. As I said, the world is moving on. Um, we have high expectations to strengthen our efforts in reducing pollution. We have more and more understanding of the problems we need to introduce better and, and precautionary measures here. I mean, one example would be combined exposure. Uh, the real world is that we are exposed to hundreds of different chemicals, but uh, in our chemical safety thinking, we just deal with one chemical by the next one. We are not looking at them in, in groups, for example, and uh, that slows us down and uh, we don't look at the interactions. So these interactions would, for example, require that we apply a assessment factor which recognizes that the toxicity of one chemical adds or even multiplies the toxicity of another chemical and uh, that would help us to do and deliver much better and much more.
0: And do we need legislation for that or can it be done within the existing rules?
1: So we have the REACH world and we have the non-REACH world. I think within the REACH world a lot of things can be done within that framework. I think the framework is pretty good and uh, we might need uh, improvements here and there and they can be done. Probably they might involve the legislator uh, and probably rightly so because with the Green Deal we are making quite a step change.
0: We want to promote the circular economy. Are there specific changes that are needed to make that possible, to make the recycling of products containing chemicals easier?
1: Well absolutely, I think the whole idea of REACH to substitute the most harmful substances with safe alternatives is exactly the right way of facilitating a circular economy. Because once we don't have these intrinsically problematic substances in the product which becomes waste and then that waste without that harmful substance is much easier to recycle.
0: For the future how do we promote the circular economy? How do we produce chemicals or ensure that the chemicals put into products that we wish to recycle facilitate the process?
1: To be very clear, the policy makers and the legislation has to set up the framework so that the industry knows what to innovate to. So the pillars will be the chemicals you put into products, uh, which are out there then with consumers and inevitably end up as waste some sometime, don't put inherently dangerous substances. Look for inherently safe substances, which even if when they release into the environment, they are either broken down or they they are non-toxic, etc. So that's pillar one. And pillar two will be, and that's, you know, less my topic, but uh, will be of course to use chemicals and molecules which are actually easy to recycle which are not downgraded in the process of recycling so that we start actually not entering a circle but like a spiral where at the end you still have waste and you will need to add new virgin products and finally is of course moving to substances which are renewable feedstocks based on renewable feedstocks given that uh, we have to step out of uh, use of fossil fuels uh, better today than tomorrow.
0: Stefan, you've been a member of the European Chemicals Agency Management Board, I think, for for some years now as as an NGO representative. That must make you something of an insider. Tell me, who does the chemicals agency work for? What's its ethos? Does it support the chemical industry or does it support the consumer?
1: I think it, you have seen the agency over the last 10 years, uh, it was a, a 10 years of building up and managing a major challenge, which is to run an operation able to handle not just tens of thousands of substances, but even more registrations, millions of industry help requests, scientific committee meetings, etc. So I think it, the first thing is quite a lot of the thinking in the agency was dedicated to just make it work, that it is a stable functioning operation. I think they have achieved that. Of course, they go along with, uh, you know, there's the bigger political framework in terms of what politicians, what the EU with its strategies and major policies, what signals it sent. And uh, I think that is very well reflected in ECA in the sense it's, it's not running its own show personally. And that actually is before my time. I was in the management board for, as an outside observer at the time. I I thought it, uh, ECA is too much busy with trying to help the industry to get it through the finishing line in a way. Because if the REACH implementation fails, it would have been, of course, uh, bad for the legislation and its future, but also bad for the agency. It would have been a huge problem. But maybe it did so too much with a focus of just getting it through without looking enough at the quality and in particular, the data. So indeed, I think there were some errors be done, but they're not done in isolation. This is done very in close cooperation with the Commission. We should never forget, the Commission has a very important role in uh, supporting the agency through all the decision it has to take. It is not ECHA setting the level of fees, how much chemical companies have to pay to register substance. At the end, it's uh, the Commission who sets the fees. And that fee level was much too low. So it was maybe too nice to industry and not sufficient uh, to deliver. Whom to blame now? Well, I'm a political person at the end. Uh, for me, this is the European Commission. That's the political body. And the role of ECHA there is, is rather that of an advisory one.
0: You've been listening to me. That's Chris Davis, as I've talked with Stefan Scheuer, Chief EU Policy Advocate for Chem Trust. Thank you, Stefan. In the next of our series of Chemical Reactions podcasts produced by Rud Pedersen Public Affairs in Brussels, I'll be giving a voice to France Capon, Secretary General of the European Precious Metals Federation. You thought, sir, the jewels you buy in the shops were not chemicals? Think again. You can hear it on the Rud Pedersen website or on the LinkedIn and Twitter pages. Thanks for listening.